I hope you have your Bibles this morning. We will be in 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll be there for the entirety of our lesson. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. We'll be doing quite a bit of reading today. Today, both of our lessons, right now and at the 11 o'clock, are going to come from the same character. Elijah is going to teach us about how to live in difficult times. And so for our lesson today, we need to ask the question, how should we stand up to the world in the face of evil? So for our lesson today, we need to ask the question, how should we stand up in the fa- to the world in the face of evil? Now we value that in our culture today. Whether we see a bully being stood up to at school by someone who is trying to oppose them, or our favorite movie where the hero stands up against the evil forces, often alone, and opposes them. We are, as a culture, impressed with that concept. We like to see that, and we write stories where the heroes do that. But it's harder for us to do it ourselves than it is to see it on screen. And so today we're going to look at a man who God used to stand okay. Elijah was a man who had to do this quite a bit, and often alone as God's prophet. So he will show us what we can expect and what we can do in our lives today. So let's start by reading our text and seeing some of our lessons. 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then jump down to verse 17. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so first, we need to see some setting. So we have the, the place in the world, the land has not seen rain for three years. Let's take a moment just to imagine that. This summer was a hot summer for us, and we had about two months of no rain. And we all felt that. We felt how that, how that turned our world upside down a little bit, how all of our grass turned brown and died. The, the earth got cracked and dry. And plants were dying, and we just could not keep up with the heat. Can you imagine what it would be like if that had happened for three years and six months? There wouldn't be a green plant anywhere. The riverbeds are bone dry Animals are dying because of the heat and there's no, not enough water for them to drink. And people are beginning to die because there's not enough food to grow. And the animals that they were accustomed to eating are dying because of their lack of water. And every day, you go to your well, either on your property or in the middle of the city, and you just watch the water level and the well get lower and lower every day. You're getting close to running out. And even more, imagine the role of a king during this three-and-a-half-year drought. You have pressure coming from every corner of the kingdom that you reign over. Everyone is coming to you for answers because you are the one that has to decide where the water goes. And the scarce food that you have, you have to allocate where it goes and who gets it and who does not. Ahab would have been stressed, to say the least. 
And he was already not an easy king to get along with before any crisis came along. And so this command in verse 1 that, that God comes to Elijah and says, Go, show yourself to Ahab, is not an easy command. And so Elijah, very simply in verse 2, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. And in fact, in the verses we didn't read, in verses 3 through 16, kind of illustrate how difficult this command was. Because on the way, Elijah runs into a servant of Ahab's. And that servant of Ahab, uh, Elijah asks him to go introduce him for, for Ahab, to come announce Elijah's presence. And the servant of Ahab says, Are you trying to get me killed just for announcing that Elijah is coming? And yet Elijah goes. And so when he enters the, the throne room of Ahab and he comes into his presence, he is met with hostility. Ahab asks, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now, how many of you would just stop, turn around and leave? This is clearly not a good day to come before Ahab. I've come in the door. I didn't even get a hello. He's already insulting me. He's already put off guard because of me. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe we turn around and start groveling, pleading with Ahab for our safety. Help me to be safe and putting ourselves at his mercy. But that's not what Elijah does. Elijah turns it back around on him. It is not I who have troubled Israel, but you have troubled Israel because of your idolatry. He tells Ahab that he is the troubler. And then furthermore, he commands Ahab what he needs to do next with this challenge and the contest. Round up all the prophets of Baal, come to Mount Carmel, and I will show you who God is there. And so what do we learn from this beginning part of the story? Well, Elijah shows us above all else that we should just go. Sometimes we can put the stop sign up for ourselves before we even get to Ahab. We see the situation there where maybe we need to stand up to someone. Maybe God has something that we need, has given us a situation where we need to say something to someone. And before our mouths even open, we've given ourselves a dozen reasons why we shouldn't. Maybe we say, he could hurt me for what I say. He could get angry. He could reject me and hurt my heart on how I feel about this. It's too dangerous. I can't do it. Or, I'm not good enough to do it. Someone else should go in my stead. So Elijah teaches us first that we need to go. We just need to go and do the Lord's will, even if it seems hard. But this isn't the end of the story. Elijah's just getting started here. And so it gets even more impressive what Elijah is willing to do to stand up for the Lord. So let's keep reading and see the contest. Starting in verse 20, we'll read through verse 29. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the prophet, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no, no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. 
and you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, I mean sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Elijah begins this contest with a great premise. How long will you limp between two different opinions? Either choose God and follow him or choose Baal and follow him. And I love that the choice to follow, the choice to, to believe in one God is coupled with the following of that God. That there is an action that follows the belief. I think that's worth noting that Elijah points that out for them. And so Elijah stands before the 450 prophets of Baal. Would we have that courage to stand in front of 450 people? Now, it's not just 450 people. It's 450 people who oppose you and are angry that you oppose them. Elijah has a boldness that we can aspire to. I can't even begin to fathom how difficult that would feel. But Elijah carries himself in this contest with faith and confidence that God will bring him through. So the rules of the contest are laid out by Elijah. Each group, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, will each get an ox to sacrifice. And they will build their altar, they will prepare for it, but they will not light it on fire. And then whoever's God that lights the sacrifice on fire proves themselves as God, and that will be the winner of the contest. And so Elijah then lets the prophets of Baal go first. The prophets of Baal have their customs and their rituals and practices that they follow. And they perform those rituals from morning until noon. Quite a lengthy uh, period of time for them to be doing that. But I love the image of this scene. These prophets did their ritual for hours until they were limping and sore. So Elijah started mocking them and even mocking Baal. And so they started escalating their intensity of the rituals by cutting themselves. And this continued for some time. Imagine the scene. From morning till noon, things are getting louder and louder and louder in the morning as their strength is combining into this great sacrifice they're going to have on behalf of Baal. But as time goes on and nothing happens, it starts to taper off a little bit. You see people getting quieter, maybe mouthing the words, and, and slowly starting to get sore and to limp as they have their motions and uh, movements in their sacrifice. And as they get too close to their weakest... Elijah starts to make fun of them. He starts to mock what they're doing and mock their God. And then all together, all at once, they come together in a frenzy, ready to come with their sacrifice as strong as they possibly can. What boldness Elijah has to oppose such zealous people. He had faith that God was with him 
all the way. But even with all their zeal and commitment, here's the result. And it says it twice. There is no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. The ways of the world always end in emptiness. There is no answer because there is no power there that can answer them in the way that they're asking. But then Elijah shows them the real power of God. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in, the, in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burning, burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. What a remarkable display of God's power. This story is famous because of how amazing our God shows himself to be. These, uh, this story is amazing in many ways, but I love that it starts with a simple invitation. Elijah when it comes his turn to offer the sacrifice, says, come near to me. He's not trying to hide anything. He wants the pagans, the Baal worshipers, to see what he is about to do. And he is willing to show them who God is up close. He wants them to see the respect that God demands. So when we are interacting with people who oppose God, we can have a temptation where we want to hold them at an arm's distance where we don't want to bring them near. We don't want to invite them closer for reasons of wanting them not to hurt us or maybe they don't say something cruel to hurt our faith. But the temptation is there. But Elijah shows us that if you can invite 450 prophets of Baal to come near, we can invite our friends and neighbors and co-workers that might oppose God for the time being. We can invite them to come near so that they can see God better. And when they come closer, what they see is Elijah takes the time to repair the altar. Now, maybe that's a sign of the disrepair of, of the faith of Israel, is that this altar had fallen out of use and out of care. And he come, they come near and see Elijah rebuild it carefully. Twelve stones for the twelve tribes of Israel, which keep in mind that's significant because this is during the divided kingdom. Elijah may be making some statement of unity and some statement about God's intention for the nation. 
And most importantly, he's making this altar in the name of the Lord. We don't have altars today that we can rebuild in the sight of people. But we do have reminders of what God has done for us. And that's what altars often were. They were not just a place of worship. They were also a reminder that God had done something for people at that place. And so an altar was erected so that they could worship God right then and there. And we carry around reminders of what God has done for us all the time. We have it with us on our phones, in our lives, at our homes. How often does it fall into disrepair? How often does it go neglected and forgotten? Maybe we can start by showing people that this deserves respect. And we can rebuild it in their sight and in their minds so that they can know God is real, God is true, and I should care about his word. Elijah shows this to a group of pagan prophets. We can show that to the people in our lives. Elijah took great care in building this. And then when it comes time to offer the sacrifice, Elijah takes even more steps to prove God's power because he asks the prophets of Baal to fill up four pitchers of water. Now, some people translate this barrels of water. Either way, this is a lot of water. And he asks them to pour it on the sacrifice three separate times, so much so that it fills the trench below the sacrifice. This animal was drenched. There is no earthly way it could have been set on fire. So, it's worth noting that there is a drought going on. So there's either one of two possibilities here. Either one, they sacrificed precious drinking water that they had with them to meet Elijah's request so that he could soak the sacrifice. Or two, they hiked down the eastern side of Mount Carmel down to to the Mediterranean Sea, filled up these buckets of water, and brought them back up the mountain to pour on the sacrifice. Either way, This is a significant sacrifice that they're making. They are making significant steps to meet Elijah's requests so that God's power may be proven. And before God's power is finally shown, Elijah prays. And this prayer is remarkable. And this is something that is worth rereading in verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. We can so easily apply this prayer for us today. We can talk to people, talk to God about the people we are interacting with. We need to be praying prayers like this. Because Elijah's prayer is essentially three parts. Number one, God, show yourself as true. Show yourself as the one true God of Israel. Number two, show myself as your servant. And number three, win over the hearts of these people. Turn their hearts back. And this prayer changes the tone of this entire story. Because early on, it's a contest. It's us versus them. It is a fight all the way through. But Elijah's prayer reveals some intention that the prophets of Baal may not have had. That is, I want them to be restored. I want them to come back to serve God. I want the people of Israel witnessing this at least to be changed. Elijah wants what's best for them. And he wants what God, he wants God to change them forever. And so God then proves himself. Despite 
Elijah being alone, despite the sacrifice being soaked through by 12 vessels of water, despite all the social pressure of Israel who are rooting for Baal to succeed, God wins by a landslide. There wasn't a single spark on the sacrifice of Baal, and yet in God's sacrifice, fire comes down from heaven and consumes the soaked sacrifice and even dried up the trenches full of water. There is no doubt there is a God in Israel, and it is Yahweh. Baal has no claim to these lands. And the people who were there to watch bowed their faces to the ground. This is the people who back in verse 21 did not answer him a word. Now they are bowing their face to the ground before God and what they have seen. And Elijah takes this moment to punish the prophets of Baal for leading the people of Israel into idolatry. That the prophets of Baal are led to execution so that this idolatry may not enter the hearts of Israel again. And Israel is seen to have a prophet. So, what does Elijah teach us? Trust God above all else. We can see his faith throughout this story, can't we? That he has built this altar with the expectation that God will see that the sacrifice is, is put up in flames. That he has brought these, the water up out of the sea or out of the drinking supply, either way, and with the expectation that God can burn through it. That he is able to take on 450 prophets who oppose him without even batting an eye. He's able to confidently mock their sacrifice and stand against them firmly because God can bring him through. That is what Elijah shows us because God is worth trusting. He will be there and he will keep us. So when we stand against sin and we help others to see who God is, we know that God will defeat sin. This is the result we wait for. God will be victorious. Will we share about it? Will we help others to see it? But we must stand on his side. And we must stand because God is going to be victorious. We cannot allow the prophets of Baal to go unanswered. But again, this isn't the end of the story. Because Elijah hasn't defeated sin forever. And Ahab is still king in Israel. And so God shows his power one last time in this chapter. Elijah doesn't just leave Ahab after his big victory on Mount Carmel. He doesn't say, okay, I've checked my box. I've gone to Ahab like God has said, and now I'm leaving. Ahab continues on, and Ahab keeps representing God and keeps showing his faith in him. So let's read verses 41 through the end of the chapter. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 
And so God shows his power to Ahab yet one more time in this chapter. He'll show it some more times, but just for this chapter, one more time. And he shows Elijah serving him even more so. So Elijah tells of the rain that is finally coming. Remember, we're still in a drought. Three and a half years since our last rain. And so Elijah tells Ahab, rain is coming. So he says, get ready to go. Uh, Get up, eat and drink. We're about to have to leave. It hasn't rained for a long time. And we remember, when it hasn't rained for a long time, rain can be dangerous. I mean, after two months, what happened when it rained here in DFW? There was significant flooding here in River Oaks. There were cars underwater in Dallas. It was a mess. There's nowhere to, for the water to go but up because the ground is hard and cannot, can only take so much water at a time. And so when this great rain is finally coming, it's going to be a mess. And Ahab needs to get away from the coast and get to higher ground. And so the tone shifts. Rain is finally coming. This is a joyful moment, right? Rain is finally coming. No, we need to get out of here. (laughs) And so that is the power of God coming upon Ahab, and he can see that God is greatly meeting what Elijah has said is going to happen. And so Elijah shows faith in God in this story yet again, because while the rain is still a cloud on the horizon over the sea, just like a man's hand, he knows rain is coming. He doesn't wait for the first drop to fall before he says, Ahab, you need to go. He doesn't wait until he could say, I told you so. Look at all this rain. There might have been a lot of clouds that came up over the sea that didn't turn into rain over the last three and a half years. But this one, Elijah said, this is going to be rain. And so God shows his power again because as Ahab goes to Jezreel, Elijah outruns him to Jezreel. Now, this is a short run uh, by some people's standards, 14 miles. And so Elijah outruns this chariot for 14 miles. Ahab has seen God's power on every place he could turn. He should be overwhelmed by the power that God has shown today. Elijah just keeps standing up for God, and Ahab keeps seeing it. Now, what can we learn from this last story? Keep going. Ahab is still not won over to God. We're going to keep seeing more about Elijah and Ahab and their stories together. I'll spoil a little bit of Tim's lesson. Ahab doesn't turn good. Not at the end of this story. He's going to continue on as a Baal worshiper, as an evil king, an enemy of God. But Elijah does not stop. Elijah continues to represent what God wants him to be, a prophet, a true servant of his. So we can continue as God's servants. No matter how difficult it can be, even if we are alone against 450 prophets of Baal, we can continue. We do this because God is worth every effort, because God can bring us through. So who can stand against sin today? I pray that we can be like, the, like our God's servant, Elijah. If we can get started, if we can trust our God and we can keep going, we'll be able to defend the hope that is in us because God is so great that we can't stay silent in the face of sin. We can gently and lovingly help our friends and neighbors see Jesus so God might turn their hearts back.
So as we close this lesson, let's one more time pray the prayer that Elijah prayed so that we can see what God has for those people. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day you are God in Israel and over all the earth, and that we are your servants, and that we have done all these things at your word. Answer us, O Lord, answer us, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Amen. We're going to sing a song together to encourage us to be like Elijah. Let's stand together as we sing.